podcast all about phrase etymology and why we say the things that we say. I'm Milo. And I'm Dave. He's my dad. And she's my daughter. That's how that works. Uh-huh. Sure Whoa. is. Yay. Wild. So today, yeah? I want to start with a question. You have a question. Yes. Are Fire you away. superstitious? Um, no, not really. I am uh, very, I have a lot of rhythms in life, which is weird because I'm Okay. Uh, very spontaneous and impulsive at times, mm-hmm. but there are certain things I always do the same way every time. You might even say that that's you could almost say that it's a little superstitious. Okay, give me um, an example. Uh, every night I read. Sure. Uh, I read uh, a couple chapters of the Bible, one chapter of the Bible. Read my fiction book. Um, you know, go to bed pretty much the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, I just have my routines. Okay. Routine slash ritual. Like maybe yeah. like bordering on ritual and that's where it feels like superstition. Yeah. And then we, you know, we slaughter a goat every morning. Um, <laughs> that might be ritualistic. I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to say. Yeah. I mean, who, who am I to judge? You must go through a lot of goats well, we every do, morning. But um, a lot of them are made of Play-Doh. Oh, okay. Well, that certainly makes things easier. <laughs> it does. We Do just reform them. Yeah, just stick the head back on at the end of the day and go yeah. again. Well, we don't cut their heads off. I'm not a barbarian. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. This has gotten real weird to start with. So, <laughs> sorry, people. Real weird, real fast. That's what we do here. So, I was curious, too, because the the main definitions that I found for superstition were belief in and reverence for supernatural beings. Are you superstitious? I would say no, I am not. I would say similar to you, I do have, like, small, like, things I do the same way every time. Like, I make my tea in very similar ways every time. But I don't ascribe any extra meaning to it, which is where I feel superstition comes in. Something can be common practice, and you do it a lot, but it doesn't become imbued with that sense of, like, ritualistic power unless you have a certain, like, meaning ascribed to it. At least that's how I would perceive it. Makes sense. But I was interested to see that the definition was belief in and reverence for supernatural beings or supernatural practices, stuff like that, because then it, like, pulls in, like, a religious question for me of, like, oh, you do believe in, like, a supernatural being. Would you yeah. Would you describe it as such? Would I describe my belief in a supernatural being as being a superstition. Yeah, which I think is maybe a loaded word. Oh, sure. But it's the same thing as calling, like, religious groups cults, I think, where, like, this word is, like, heavily weighted, but it can also be, like, technically true. I just think words that are loaded are interesting. Well, I think if you're going by literal definitions of things, you you could, someone on the outside could say that taking communion is superstitious. Sure. Like it's a, I'm doing this, ascribing this, you know, taking a little bit of bread mm-hmm. and a little bit of wine or grape juice for most churches, like that is going to please this supernatural being. Right. You could or sure, bring me closer to them. Yeah, you could. Yeah. I mean, going to church, you could say that in a liturgy. You know, mm-hmm. anything that you do um, repetitiously. Right. Um, yeah. Sure. Right, because it's ritualistic, and it is specifically to appease and worship. A supernatural deity. Yeah. So right. I thought that was like an interesting nuance of that word that I didn't think about often. Yeah. Yeah. I would. No, I would not 
my religious and spiritual beliefs and my practices thereof, I would not ascribe to superstition, but right. I could certainly see, because it's a loaded word, it's not one that you'd normally use because it's usually more negative, like right. more pagan, more simplistic mm-hmm. uh, type of a belief system. Like, do you know what the most, uh, the sport they use the most, the, is the most superstitious, the players? No, I don't. Baseball. They're oh, okay, yeah. Incredibly I'm... superstitious, uh-huh. generally. You can't step on the line. You know, you have the first base line and the third base line. And then depending if you're at home or a visitor, the manager comes out to talk to the pitcher. Almost always, they will not step on that line. Interesting. Yeah. And you can't talk about a perfect game when it's being pitched. Mm-hmm. Perfect game is there's no hits. Right. There hasn't been an error, a hit, or a walk. You can't talk about it among the players or you'll jinx it. Yeah. I, so, jinxing is an interesting thing, which we'll briefly touch on today, but definitely I think deserves its own episode as well. Um, but yeah, we're definitely going to touch on the religious aspects of superstition and just superstition in general today. So I kind of just wanted to preload it with like, oh, inviting you and our listeners to think about superstitions within their own life and things that they may do that are superstitious without really realizing it. Or labeling it as such, yes. Yeah. So... Specifically, what we're talking about today is the phrase, knock on wood. I don't know if that's going to come through. That may be cut. I just knocked on wood. (laughs) It may not come through. We record on a wood desk. We do. Yep, which my recording artist friend says specifically he can tell, which I don't know what that means. come on. What? I mean, but he said said specifically, like, you're recording on wood, a wood desk, aren't you? What? And so I didn't even tell him. Yeah, it's weird. Sound recording people are crazy. Uh, Apparently. That's impressive. (laughs) Yeah, he's a cool guy. Anyway, so knocking on wood or touching wood, uh, more commonly said in, like, the UK, they say touch wood instead of knock on wood. But same basic idea. So you're expressing a hope and you're trying to have sway over an event that you either hope will or won't happen by knocking on wood. It's like making your will be known. Okay. So do you knock on wood or use the phrase? Because I know some people will say knock on wood and not even knock. Yeah, I like that. I like your sound effect there. (laughs) Thank Um, you. No, I do not. Uh, I don't do the knock on wood thing. Okay. Um, I don't. I don't think I ever say it, and I don't knock on wood because it just. That's where I guess to kind of reference back to the beginning of the episode. For me, that would feel silly for me to do that. Okay. I I think I do it. I don't expect anything to come of it, but it feels like a conversational tick. Like, Ah. it's not something that I actually believe in has any sway, but it's something I say all the time because it's just, it's something you say. And it's just kind of like, it's a way to intensify your hope about something. Sure. Or if you say something like, oh, the weather's really nice. I hope it's still, or like, the weather's really nice. I heard it's going to storm, but knock on wood, I'm going kayaking later. I hope it doesn't. Right. Uh, so it can both dissuade and persuade a certain outcome. Yeah. It's this idea that the actions we have, if we do little things that will, again, influence and make things happen the way we want it to, like weather or relationships right. or whatever. Right. I'm going to get a good parking spot, knock on wood. Uh-huh. And... Right. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know that I know anyone who actually believes that that 
has those words have any kind of power or the action of knocking on wood has any kind of power. Yeah. I think, I don't know about in other regions or in other countries, but certainly here in the Midwest, I hear all the time as just like a conversational, like offhand, like, oh, knock on wood. Yeah. And then some people will actually try to find wood to knock on. Yes. Or the ever, the everlasting joke of you just knock on your head, uh, knock yeah. on wood, pluck, yeah. pluck. Yeah. For all those ventriloquist dummies that have come to life. Yes. That's horrifying. <laughs> Everyone knows one. You just don't know it yet. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it could be. Uh, it could be your friend uh, Frank. Could be anyone. You don't know. It could be your wife. What? It's the dark truths we learn about one another. Yeah. When does that come out? When do you learn? How, how long does it take? It's a deep conversation. You have to work up to time. it. All right. Uh, so. This is one of those phrases that every site that I went to to research it said, hey, there's this answer, but it's not true. What? Really? <laughs> yes. Like all of them. Like some of them said it. So there's like a popular folk answer that everyone like refers to. Yeah. But almost everyone who referred to it acknowledged that it probably wasn't true. I've, I've come across this in some of my research for different things. Like this is kind of the, the urban legend or the old wives right. tale. But, yeah, this probably isn't what it is. But, to be fair, we are going to perpetuate that because I'm going to tell you what it is Yay! and tell you that it's probably not true. But okay. hopefully I'll add an extra spin to it that I think will be fun. So just to get that out of the way of the main thing that people say that it is, even yeah. though it probably isn't, uh, the main root, <laughs> which is a pun, you just don't know it yet, <laughs> it's saying that it traces back to Celtic traditions of tree spirits. Oh. So in Celtic pagan religions, which you referenced before. I wouldn't call them simple like you did well, early. Yes. I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> I meant the superstitious acts themselves. Yes, that aren't necessarily backed up by yeah. faith systems. Yes. But this is an actual faith system. It is pagan. Sure. Um, Celtic paganism. This idea of spirits and gods residing in trees. So it was considered maybe apocryphally that it was good luck to tap on trees to signal the spirits within the wood that you were there. Okay. And this could either function to get spirits' attention and protection mm. over you as you, you know, traveled or did your ritual in the woods or whatever it was you were going to do. Sure. Um, to show thankfulness for your good luck. Or, if there were evil spirits in the tree, it would scare them away or prevent them from listening. The sound would prevent them from listening. So it was often, this is something I think is true, that there would be um, an association with trees and secrets. You would go into the woods to talk about secrets. Okay. And so you might knock on wood to scare away listening ears of spirits. Okay. Interesting. Uh, Celtics, tree trees are very important to Celtic mythology, mm -hmm. um, and different trees have all kinds of different meanings. Okay. So it's kind of like an arboreal horoscope. Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah, which is really, really funny because I, I make like bullet points for myself, listener, as I, as I write out my episodes. And I wrote out that bullet point, went on to research more, and then, no joke, like two seconds later, I saw an article saying, find your tree sign, oh, oh, oh. Celtic horoscope. So no okay. joke, somebody's been there. So I took the liberty of looking up what ours were. Oh, of course you did. Because right. this is what we do. Okay. Um, so I was born on October 13. Which means that I am Ivy, the survivor. You oh. will note, Ivy, not a tree. Not as much? <laughs> Ivy, not trees. Maybe grows on trees, yes. Not a tree. So you're like a growth on a tree. Yeah, I am like a growth on a tree. Okay. No, here's the, here's the description they gave me. This is from fantasticgardeners.co.uk. So do it that British. way you will. 
So the Ivy Celtic tree sign is blessed with the ability to overcome all odds and can survive in any situation. People born under the energy of the ivy are loyal, compassionate, and have a sharp intellect. You know that's true. Well, yeah. Life may be unfair to them at times, but they endure the troubles with soulful grace. They can be drawn into the spiritual world, and their faith is deeply rooted. There's more things about what signs you're compatible with, all that stuff, uh, as with most horoscope things. So when you read that, is there anything that impacts you at all or does that well that's the thing is that they're all designed to impact everyone because they say mostly positive things or things that like affect you negatively but aren't your fault (laughs) and everyone always has something like i'll read yours too and i think that we could find things in each other's that feel true because they're very very general statements which is true of most horoscope right agreed so your sign is holly the ruler Oh, geez, okay. Uh, which, Holly, is a tree. So you win on that, at least. Yay. Or it can be a tree. It's also a shrub sometimes. The noble one about Celtic tree, among the Celtic tree astrology signs, is the Holly. Those born under this sign are natural leaders and easily acquire power and higher status. They can effortlessly tackle the hardest tasks and often possess rare skills and tact. The Holly is set to reach its goal and can be too competitive and ambitious at times. <gasps> the trees. The tree sign brims with confidence, kindness, and passion. So, like saying, the only negative thing you're going to say is that you're too competitive and ambitious, which I would say is true of you. Uh, I, uh, I possibly there is a story <laughs> which uh, I I wouldn't mind telling if uh, go for if it. You don't mind. Um, it's true. I'm very competitive uh, because the being born in the spirit of Holly. Uh, <laughs> is the, is, I blame it on that. Yep. Not my Always fault. have. Not my fault. Um, I so Milo's older brother Josh, the firstborn, when he was a wee lad, uh, we used to play Candyland together because I love <laughs> to play games with my kids. Still do, and uh, he the kid had the darnest luck. I mean, there's no strategy to Candyland. You 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 pull you flip over a card. It has a color. You go to the next the closest color of that card that shows up, mm-hmm. and he would always beat me and I so I've got this three year old kid beating me in Candyland and that it doesn't, doesn't sit well it doesn't sit well because I'm competitive and so if you get a character card you get to move to where that character is on the little path yeah so Plumpy is the worst because Plumpy is near the beginning of yes. the track so Josh would be beating me and because he's three and I could easily manipulate him and, and fool him I would say hey what's that over there or I think mom's oh calling he would turn his head I would take the plumpy card, and when it's his turn, I would put it on top of the deck. Uh-huh. And then he would get the plumpy card and have to go back to plumpy <laughs> in the hopes that I would be able to win. Uh-huh. Um, now, as a young child, he wasn't thinking anything about my father would cheat at a child's right. game to beat me. Oh, the trust. Oh, the trust. And the ill-founded trust. So uh, I would do this, and then it just got to be a game of how many times could I do this before uh-huh. he'll he'll think something's off. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't do it every turn in a row. I'd wait three or four turns, and I'd have Plumpy, and I'd distract him, and I'd put it on top of the thing. <laughs> um, and so one time, I just he got the Plumpy card, and he goes, Plumpy again? <laughs> and just this, you can just tell his little brain is like, this shouldn't this be happening. This is so weird. So yes, I am too competitive. Yep. And, you cheated uh, against a three-year-old, your I own did, son. And I still lost. So <laughs> other than that, let's not talk. Let's Karma go, doesn't pay. Let's keep going on. 
Let's let's return to the Celts, shall we? Shall we? To distract from your shame. We shall. So I will say that all that that I just said about the horoscope, that's not an actual part of like Celtic mythology. That's, what is it then? Just as offshoot? It's some, some crap that somebody made up. <laughs> okay. Oh, I got your pun now. Thank yeah. you. That was good. Um, so actually, Celtic like appreciation of trees didn't come down to ascribing you your personality. It was more about specific spirits that lived in certain trees and a reverence for nature. Sure. Um, I did find an interesting passage from a book by J.A. McCulloch Ooh. Uh, called The Religion of the Ancient Celts. Uh, it was a book from 1911. Oh, nice. So I just wanted to read a passage from that because I found it interesting and very dark. Cover the ears of any children nearby. Okay. So the Celts made their sacred places in dark groves, the trees being hung with their offerings or with the heads of victims. Ah. Human sacrifices were hung or impaled on trees by the warriors of Budisha. Don't know what that is. Booty. These, like the offerings placed by the folk on sacred trees, were attached to them because the trees were the abode of spirits or divinities who, may, who in many cases had power over vegetation. Okay. So very ritualistic, different, um, you know powers ascribed to these trees and you give gifts to the trees in various forms usually in human blood or form. that yeah or you know more tame offerings i think i've heard of bodhisha before actually oh have you yeah carol i think has mentioned bodhisha okay i do want to look more into that because i think celtic mythology is super fascinating oh, yeah. and it's not something that i'm overly familiar well, with Well, especially here in america we don't have much exposure right. to that unless right. It's some weird thing in, like, a show Supernatural. They're like, here's this Celtic <laughs> right. demon. He's the monster of the week. And then they normally just, like, take two aspects of a monster and, yeah, like, so throw it, it at you. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, and in the U.S. we normally just get, you know, Greek mythology, maybe some Roman mythology. Because if it's Norse. close with, yep, and yeah. some Norse. Especially yeah. in modern day as Thor becomes more popular as <laughs> a character. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, a lot of, especially Scandinavian Mythology, I find fascinating. It gets I real love, weird and dark. Yeah. But Celtic is a big blind spot in my mythology, and I would like to look more into that. Celtic, also very dark. I would say more dark than Norwegian. A lot really? of Norwegian is very sexual, but not often in a dark way. Oh. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Okay. It is specifically in Norway. But anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've been in Norway. No, you haven't? I have. You have? Yeah. What? Why? When I went to France a couple years ago, I stopped in Oslo. Oh, okay. I was in the airport in Oslo. I have pictures. Very cool. It's very Norwegian. Yeah. <laughs> the airport's Norwegian. You're like, oh, I'm in Norway. A lot of trolls. It was so, Yeah, there's trolls and yep. stuff. It's, it's interesting. They like their it's trolls. It's kind of cool. So the other thing that was often like nodded to in these articles was the idea that Christians will say that it's knock on wood because of the crucifix. Of oh. uh, the cross being made of wood. Sure. Um, but it seems pretty likely to me that this was just like an excuse made by religious parts, or like overly religious parts of Christianity to explain away why it was okay that they were doing this. Yeah, it was kind of like they, the, they didn't want to give up aspects of their religion. Right, exactly. So like since there were kind of these like vague ties to paganism with yeah. it, it's a way of saying, oh, it's not pagan because it's, it's about the cross. <laughs> like Easter. Yes. Ishtar. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, it's Christian. Hooray. We'll definitely do an Easter episode oh, next Easter because sure. uh, there's a lot of fun symbolism there. Oh, yeah. Non, and it's my favorite holiday. Not Christian at all. I'm not Christian, but like Easter is my definitely my favorite holiday. Yeah, I know. Um, so... Probably not that either, even though it was frequently referenced. Okay. There's specifically a book that references both of these uh, origins or 
perceived origins. Um, there's a book by British folklorist, which Ooh. is oh, to have that title, folklorist, amazing. Can we talk to the British? We should call the British folklore folklorist up. You know, I don't know when this book was published. I think it was pretty recent, so he might still be around. How fun was that? Steve Rude. Oh, if you know Steve, have him contact us. Yeah. Well, wait till you hear the title of this book. This guy has a ton of books, but this particular one, The Lore of the Playground. Ooh. What a title. Love it. Yep. No, I I really am into... I want to read this book now because it seems really interesting. But, so, Steve Rude, or Roud, maybe, R-O-U-D. Yeah. yeah, Roud, probably. Uh, In the book, Lore, Lore of the Playground, he postulates... Well, first of all, he says that uh, the claim that this phrase goes back to when we believed in tree spirits is complete nonsense. He says that in the book. So he's very against that interpretation. Okay. So his interpretation is that it goes back to a playground game called Tiggy Touchwood. I don't like... Are you familiar? No, that sounds bad. So Tiggy Touchwood is a pretty old children's game, uh, common in the UK and in Australia. Okay. uh, Where it's, it's like tag. So one child is it... As we would say here in the U.S., that's the person who goes and does the tagging. Sure. Um, but they're called Tig in this game. Okay. Uh, and they have to chase the other children around. But if the children touch a piece of wood, they're safe. Like they're ghoul. Like they're, that's they're what they call ghoul. You know, ever heard that term? No. The ghoul was the place you touch where you're safe. If you were oh. tired, and you you could go to the place that was called ghoul, and then you could, oh. you could be there, which is real we weird. We had that in our games, too, but it was just called home. Yeah, they called it ghoul when I was a kid, which is... Weird. Yeah, I have to look into that. That's, that's also... really interesting. I wonder yeah. if that's in Lore of the Playground. It could be, but yeah. it's, I, I think it's real... I think it's a bit kind of old. Yeah. No, I'm interested. I've never heard that phrase for it before. Because really? I think it's an, it's a common concept to have, sure. like, home safe. safe. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. In different playground games. But I had not heard that particular word. Yeah. That's what Interesting. Yeah. But, yeah, so the children specifically went around to touch a piece of wood in order to be safe in the game. And then the whole game is you're jet dodging from place to place and trying sure. to lure the it person to come chase you. So Steve postulates... You know, this is the thing. The word yeah. postulate. In another podcast, they may say, Steve says. No, no. This is a podcast <laughs> for intelligent people. We use words like freaking postulate. Uh-huh. That's what we're about. Yeah. yeah. You listen to this podcast, it means you're smart. Now you make me feel bad about saying the word postulate. No, I love it. It's a great word. It's <laughs> it is so a good word. Better. It's fun. It's better than Especially because he is, he is interjecting a claim here. So it's, yeah, it's yeah, applicable. Yeah. It's, it's more specific than says. Absolutely. And that's, that's why, why vocabulary is good, because it allows you for specificity of language. And I do like the word specificity as also well. Also a good word. Sorry. I, I digress. <laughs> Sorry. So Steve Roud postulates that since this game is concerned with protection and was well known to adults as well as children, it is almost certainly the origin of our modern superstition, superstitious practice of saying touch wood. Okay. So that's Steve's perspective. But it explains the British version, but not the American. Well, that's I. I also have a little bit of a more nuance to that okay. that I want to put to Steve. Oh. So several scholars are saying that this game stems from the UK. Yep. It originates in the T- UK. Okay, hold on. Are they saying tag originates in the UK? No, Tiggy Touchwood specifically. Okay. I'm pretty sure tag has been around for forever. Oh, forever. Yeah, forever. Yeah. No, but since Tiggy Touchwood stems from the UK, and it's a game about protective wood, and Celtic mythology is also from the UK, in yeah. which touching wood was a safety and a safe space. Sure. 
Tiki Touchwood probably comes from the idea of trees, tree spirits. Yeah. Hard to say. First, this is the first episode, though, where we've come full circle. Yeah. And it's an Ouroboros of Frey's origins. A what? An Ouroboros. What? what does that mean? Snake eating its own tail. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also called Ouroboros. I really don't know what the pronunciation is. but That's fine. I like it. No, but I think that that's kind of a fun full circle that that comes. Again, I don't know specifically if Tiki Touchword does come from those Celtic origins mm-hmm. and those kind of beliefs of the power of wood right but fun either way yeah so as we go a little bit more into the safety of touching things did you have another question no okay um so in italy they touch iron instead of touching wood same idea okay uh you touch iron in order to gain safety i really couldn't find specific like reasons why (laughs) It would be iron. I. It seems that it's mostly just because the metal was like had magical yeah. properties. It was pretty rare, and they were like, "Oh, it's got an additional power because of that." And it was commonly used like a, you've run enough fantasy that the Fey hated iron. Yes, which I don't know if that's true in like in Italy. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. know if 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 that kind of mythology because I think that's also pretty UK based. The fear yeah. of iron. Yeah, and the Fae too more. Yes, right? that is that comes definitely from like an Anglo-Saxon, you know, myth system. So I'm not sure why Italy specifically says that, but they also did note that if you didn't have iron around to touch in Italy, you could also grab your private parts <laughs> for the same effect. So women huh. could um, cup their left breast, or men could cup themselves okay sure you know yeah like like you do do. and that would be you know a sign of you know wishing protection so in a similar way we'd say knock on wood or cup your balls who knows well which is another certainly a form of protection yeah there you go yeah that's a good point yeah uh, uh so it's interesting it's lucky to touch wood it's lucky to touch iron it's lucky to touch other things um but i found it really interesting too something i've thought about in the past is the perceived luck about touching statues are you familiar Uh, with this no other than the in catholicism we're we watch a show called the last kingdom okay and like there's a lot of which i would call superstition about (laughs) um statues and parts of dead saints. Yes. Like, it, we have the corpse Catholicism of Catholicism is very into... Saint Harold or whatever. Symbology and iconography. Yeah. Yes. Which, I'm sure, growing up, the church that I grew up in would have called that idolatry. Oh, of course. Yeah, um, yeah. But, you know, sometimes the line is fuzzy. Agreed. Uh, a lot of the churches who would call, like, statues of Mary idolatry also have giant statues of Jesus on the cross. On the and cross. it's like, well, Perpetually dying. always that, which is maybe a little disturbing why that's always the go-to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, yeah. I agree. So, I think that statues are super interesting culturally. They're yeah. definitely having a moment in terms of, like, in America, the conversations around statues and yeah. what they symbolize. And I think that that's really interesting and important discourse. I'm not going to touch as much on that. I would definitely recommend seeking out, you know, important and black-voiced uh, commentary on Confederate statues. Yeah. I'm not the person to be talking about that. I'm not a Southerner. I am not black. But important conversations to be tuned into because statues are an important part about how we symbolize what's important to us. Definitely. Yeah. And I want to talk more about the 
the physical interactions with statues because we're talking okay. about you know touching wood touching iron there's also a ton of statues around the world who have individual superstitions based on touching them i did not know this yeah so there's some more general ones so you probably know about it's it's considered lucky to rub the belly of a buddha statue sure yep and that's a more general there's tons of buddha statues almost all of them it's considered lucky to do that right um it's considered lucky to pet or just to own a maneki neko or a lucky waving cat you know, oh, oh, one of those what? little cat statues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, those are for good luck. Oh. So the so these are just common statues that are all considered lucky okay. to a certain extent. But there are also specific statues around the world that have perceived power, and it's just individual statues. Okay. And that's what I find interesting. So the horns of the bull on Wall Street, yep. rubbing the horns, are said to bring good financial luck. <laughs> okay. I mean, seems a little yeah, obvious, I yes. guess, but, sure. but we'll get into some more specific ones. Um, there's a statue of Shakespeare's Juliet in Verona, uh, and if you rub her breast, you're supposed to get luck in love. Okay. Again, a little obvious, more and creepy. I will warn you that I'll, if you look more into these, a lot of them are sexual. Oh. There's a lot of breast touching, and yeah, anyway. Great. Um, some of them, though, are very, very wholesome. This is one of my favorites. Uh, you can pet the nose of FDR's dog, Fala. There's a statue of this dog in Washington, D.C. at FDR's monument, uh, and petting his nose or ears is supposed to give you good luck. Oh. And I think that's just cute. Fala? Fala. Oh. Yeah, that's just really wholesome. Okay. And then there's some less wholesome ones. Sure. Let's bring. Let's just dive into that. <laughs> and this is actually one that I was going to touch on. A, a friend recommended that I do an episode on this, and we're not going to because you're my father. But <laughs> there's a statue of Leopold von Sachermosch. Oh, which I don't know name. if what that's what I'm gonna. Yeah, I don't know if that's pronounced correctly. It's be Prussian or Germanic, right, or Russian? It is Ukrainian. Yeah. Okay. And Slavic. he is said to be the founder oh boy, of S and M. Oh, oh boy. Okay. So if you think of his last name, Sasha Masuk. I don't oh. know if I'm saying that right. That's where sadomasochism comes from. Oh. It's just this one guy's name. Oh. Like- See? Did not know that. I was recommended to do a whole episode on that. And you just get it as a bonus side because maybe we'll do an After Dark episode someday with not my father. I'll take over the podcast and we'll do some more, you know, interesting. Uh, risque. Yeah, risque. Maybe we'll have a risque episode someday. Although, but anyway. My, my last episode got a little risque. That's true. A little bit. Yeah. With a, with but a if we were going to talk about yeah, agreed. Sasha Moshk, it yeah, would definitely no. get a little yeah. bit yeah, weirder. Yeah, we don't need to. So anyway, so Sadomasochism comes from his name, and he is from Lviv, Ukraine, a city uh-huh. in the Ukraine. And there is a statue commemorating him in front of a oh. um, a bar, which is S and M themed. Oh, which is interesting. Sure. There is a lot of language around BDSM that's very interesting too. The acronym itself is fascinating, but or not acronym initialism or, initialism. or alphabetism. Oh, we right. learned about that yes, before, we did. We did. which is fun. That's a fascinating thing of itself because it's three-part al- alphabetization, which is fast. Anyway, we won't get into that here today. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, there's a statue of Leopold in his home con- city of Lviv, Ukraine, and visitors are encouraged to pop their hand into his pocket to wish for good luck. But oh the thing is, the pocket isn't empty. Part of the statue is that if you reach into his pocket... His genitals are in there, so Uh-oh. you're feeling for those, which is, you know, maybe on theme for who he is. I'm going to show you a picture of this statue, okay. not of the inside of the well, pocket, sure. which I couldn't find a picture of. But I didn't really look. I no, didn't. Okay, good. 
But this is a very weird statue, and we will definitely post a picture of it. So there's his pocket. You can't really see inside of it, but that's where people put their... Is but he, if you he notice, holding? he's holding his gloves. So it's a it's a statue of a very dapper-looking man, yeah. um, looking kind of demure and holding his gloves in his hands. I'm not really sure what the symbolism of that is. Okay. But he's wearing this very long jacket, and out of oh. the jacket are escaping like all of these hands. Oh, no. Which is super weird. Why? What? Hold and I on. like it a lot. <laughs> what's in what's supposed to oh that's like a reminds me of a Christmas carol of one of those ghosts yeah like the ghost of Christmas future of yeah. like when the children are reaching out yes, around yeah it's very needy, much like that represented need so I I think the statue is super cool and very disturbing and I like it a lot I wonder who um, made that yeah but then there's one too of a lady with her hand in the pocket I don't know where that's at there it is she's giving him a smarmy look which i enjoy yeah she's all about like, yeah i know exactly what's going on here buddy so that's just kind of fun <laughs> um that's weird but i just find it fascinating that all of these different statues have these specific mythologies and you can see with a lot of them i'm going to show you a picture too of the bronze gets worn away so bronze gets tarnished very easily sure, and it lasts a long time but the statue itself will likely you know oxidize over time. Uh -huh. But if people are continually rubbing the statue, cleaning it you almost. get these weird gold bright spots. So like that yeah. dog that I told you about, uh, the dog statue, its nose is all like brushed clean and you can see it's bronze, sure. which is cute. And then you have this one here of some singer in Europe oh uh, where gosh. her breasts are rubbed completely golden. They are. like, what? And the rest of her is, you know, Oxidized tarnished. bronze. Yep. And then her breasts, the points of her breasts are... <laughs> Bron or more brightly colored. She's wearing a shirt, I should say. Yes. But it doesn't matter because no. it looks real weird. Yes, but I, I think it's... We'll put that online. Yeah. yeah. I, I think there'll be a lot of pictures for this one because a lot of it is quite visual. Yeah. But I just think it's fascinating that all that people garner superstitions for not just general things, but for these super specific places. There's different ones with different mechanisms. You throw coins into this one guy's hat. Oh. You there's it's often rubbing noses or beards. Okay. Um, but most often it's breasts. It's it's just most often breasts, sure. guys. Human beings love boobs. We do. Um, but I was also interested. I. This is a slight tangent. It's not really related, but there's. Okay. I also came across this statue with a different gimmick. So there's this statue called the Mouth of Truth, uh -oh. or Bacca della Verta. Okay. I do not speak Italian, so I'm no. very sorry. This is in Rome. Um, so I'm going to show it to you. It's a mask. So there it is. Okay. It's got. It's kind of like a guy's face with holes cut out for the eyes, nose, and mouth. In the middle of a plate. Yes. So look at that. I, I yeah. looked at it and was like, okay, a mask. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that mask uh -huh. weighs just about 3,000 pounds. Uh, how big is it? It is huge. It is five feet, nine inches across. Okay. So it's about your height. Yeah, a little less. Um, good to clarify. You're like, I'm you. tall. I'm, I'm tall. I'm just telling you I'm over five. Uh -huh. Can I tell you that? So this thing is enormous. It's so big. But the whole gimmick of it is is that you're supposed to put your hand into it. Oh, no. <laughs> you already don't like this. No. And if you're truthful, you'll be fine. Well, but if this. you lie, it will bite your hand off. This is in a movie. It is. Yeah, that's, that's where this is going. Oh, yeah. Yes. So the Mouth of Truth, or Bacca della Verta, is prominently featured. Most people know of it because of the film 
Roman Holiday yes. from 1953. Which I have not seen. Audrey Hepburn's first major motion picture. Yeah. Uh, I actually watched it just for this episode because I saw it come up in the research and was like, you know, I've never seen it. And I'd like to. It's delightful. Yeah? Oh my gosh, it's so good. I don't watch a lot of old movies, and this is a... It made me laugh out loud several times. Oh, really? And I was like, this... I did not expect this. It is just delightful. Audrey Hepburn, of course, is a delight. Oh, she's just... Um, But anyway, it's it's a movie... It's a romance comedy, you know? Yeah. But the whole... As often in romance comedy, the whole onus of it is that their characters are being untruthful with each other. Oh, okay, Uh, So in one of the scenes where they're touring the city... They both kind of do it, and it's very cute because they're both scene. like ooh, and then he pretends to get his arm stuck in it, and it's yeah, it's and he's very like cute. oh, and she's like freaking out, and Gregory Peck is just great. Oh, he was, I'm telling you, yeah. yeah. We, don't, we don't have movie stars like that anymore. I don't think. Not How really. so? There's just a class, and, it, it, and part of it's not the fault of anyone any movie stars today mm-hmm. is just how movie stars were thought of and portrayed in the 40s and 50s yes. always very stylish you think of your your your, your you know Clark Gable mm-hmm. your Gregory Peck you know some of those leading yeah. Jimmy Stewart this was actually the part was written for Clark Gable but oh, Gregory geez, Peck took it instead that. well cuz they they originally were going to film it in the US oh um and do full technicolor and they wanted Cary Grant and some big name actress of the day to be in it. But because the director specified that we have to film this in Rome because it's about Rome, well, they were like, sense. okay, we'll do it, but we're going to cut your budget like crazy. It's going to be in uh-huh. black and white, and you're going to have to cast a no name actress. And that no name actress was Audrey Hepburn, and obviously became a very, very big name actress. So she really got it by chance. That is kind of crazy. Yeah, I thought that was kind of a fun story. So, Mouth of Truth, super cool gigantic statue. You can still go to it. So, this is fun. Um, uh-huh. We The guy who wrote this play, this, this movie, yeah. is a guy, if you look it up, it, it'll tell you it was written by Ian McKellen Hunter and John Dighton. Sure. That's not who wrote it. Oh. It was written by a guy named Dalton Trumbo. Oh, yes. He was blacklisted for being part of the Communist Party. Yes. He was not allowed to write films, but he was such a hot, great film writer <laughs> that they used him Under anyway. Under the table. And he would use a different name to write the screenplay so it wasn't tied back to him. Mm-hmm. He won an Oscar underneath a fake name. That's wild. They just, they they called the winner was so-and-so. Mm-hmm. He's watching the Oscars with his family. And they're like, Dad, that's you. And he's like, I know. He couldn't be there. No one comes up to get the award uh-huh. because the guy didn't exist. Wow. That's wild. Anyway, well, Trumbo's a great movie. If you haven't seen Trumbo with Brian Cranston as Dalton Trumbo, which I have, very haven't, good. But I will now, and I invite you to watch Roman Holiday because it was I want to legitimately delightful in ways I didn't expect. Like yeah. I said, laughed out loud, and I rarely anticipate doing that. Um, also on the page for this statue, I did come across this small little anecdote that I had to share because it was just too weird not to. So there is a Dutch children's book. Okay. By Rendert Kromhout, um, called, oh no, I'm so sorry, Maya. Het Giem van de Averfer Wiener. Wow. Or The Secret of the Bitten Off Fingers. Oh. This is a children's book. Oh. Uh, it features, so it takes place in Rome, and uh-huh. it's around the idea of the statue of the mask. Uh-huh. But it features a skeleton with a scythe who cuts off the fingers of lying children. Oh. That's the premise of this Dutch children's book. I'm going to show you the cover illustration. It's wow. a very, very cheerful skeleton, like jauntily walking with his scythe. 
Do you know what it reminds me of? What? The birthday skeleton. Yes. It's <laughs> the contract is sealed. <laughs> if you haven't seen this cartoon, it's on the internet. It's Look very up good. birthday skeleton. Very funny. Yes. We'll credit the artist for that. I don't yeah, know yeah. it off we'll the top it. of that we'll in my head. Too. Yeah. So wild. I yes. just thought this was quite fun. I love I love collective conscious like ideas of superstitions and of meaning in items mm. and so seeing all these different just like statues which are imbued with a certain sense of you know memorialization and right. significance but to see them evolve and gain this like mass enough to where the bronze is worn away yeah 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 the amount of like mass belief in this or at least like playing along with the belief of it that this requires yeah. is so cool to me. Just the fact that people can come together and like really rub the boobs of some statue. <laughs> <laughs> or stick their hand in the pocket. I bet the bronze in there is real shiny too. Probably. You got to get a flashlight to... Yeah, I bet that's happened. <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm sure it has. But if you want some tips on statue burnishing, which is what it's officially called, there oh. is a page on roadsideamerica.com called Statue Burnishing Etiquette. What? Which is just... A, Utterly so unnecessary weird. and so weird, and I invite you just to look at it because why does this exist? I it's it's baffling. But it, it points to although that's very funny and weird and bizarre. It points to this idea that we're so all of us have this desperation to know the unknown and control the unknown mm -hmm. that we're going to reach for things beyond ourselves and go if I do this. And I think a lot of people who do these things ironically, there's probably a percentage of like, huh, probably not. I'm 99% right. sure this isn't going to do anything. But it can't hurt. But why not? Yep. And then it does get into the mindset of humans where they're like, all of a sudden it catches on, which mm -hmm. I'm always interested in. Why yes. did this catch on? Yes. And why are millions of people into this, love this, following mm -hmm. this, going to try this? Something captures the imagination, which points to a common longing, I right. would say. Which I think right. is And we see that with most things associated with luck. That's the whole reason the lottery works, is because so many people buy into the concept of they could be lucky enough that there's enough money to make it worth it. Do you play the lottery at all? I do not. Have you ever played the lottery? Um, I think I've been gifted a lottery ticket before. Okay. Uh, but I've never purchased one. Okay. You're just buying a, a little fan, a daydream. That's all you're yeah. doing. You're, you're buying a five-minute daydream. <laughs> Which, if that's fun to you, it's, go for it. And it's not that fun to me. I, I'll do it every once in a while when yeah. the lottery's like $300 million. Yeah. I'm not playing for $20 million. Who can live on that? But if it's three, <laughs> million, $400 I'm like, I'll spend 10 bucks on lottery tickets. Yeah. That might be twice a year. Anyway, I have a question for you. Yes. Okay. Um, so, a couple of years ago, uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to go to the Louvre mm -hmm. in Paris. Um, and, of course, you – as a question, so there's tons of statues yes. in the Louvre. What are some statues you'd love to see, either in the Louvre or somewhere else? So I, I'm going to get my art card revoked for this. That's okay. <laughs> but I – so I like going to art museums, and I like going to go see works of art uh -huh. uh, a lot. But I don't have, like, specific favorites that I'm like, oh, I have to see it in person. Sure, sure. 
But if you were in, so I, I'll just I, instead of putting the pressure on you, I'll share a little bit of so seeing the Venus de Milo. Yeah. Like I wasn't like, oh my gosh, I have to see the Venus Milo. de Milo. <laughs> you know, Milo, very good. <laughs> I don't have to see that before I die. It wasn't on the bucket list, but to go walking around and go, holy crap, that's the Venus de Milo. Yeah. <laughs> that's insane. Right. Or the Nike statue, you know, which is at the forefront of the ship. You yep. know, the um, what do they call the thing in the front Buster. of the ship? No, no the, I know what you're saying. Figurehead. Prow, figurehead. Yeah, the figurehead. Yeah. Um, you're like, this is an incredibly ancient, famous... Right. It was like seeing the Mona Lisa. Right. Which isn't that... And if you touch the Mona Lisa, it does not give you good luck, by the way. gets you arrested. <laughs> yes. Uh, and they, less less uh, painting touching. <laughs> I will say, yeah, don't if, do that. if a place says don't touch the statue, because a lot it. of places, you know... Preserving art is important, and if a place specifically says, hey, don't touch this, don't, do don't touch it. There's certainly ones where it's become part of the mystique and part of the fun of the place. Like, for the yeah. for the Mask of Truth, they encourage you to go and yeah, put your hand into it. Right. It's part of the tourism. But if they're saying don't, don't do it. Yeah, it, it was nuts to see the Code of Hammurabi there. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was insane. Like, this is so old. And some of the original gates of Babylon, back to the Bible and the book of Daniel, mm-hmm. some of those same time era, they have some of those gates that Daniel probably saw with his own eyes and walked by. Mm-hmm. That's crazy yeah. to see that in there. Yeah. But um, that, to me, is more history, too, of, oh, like, yeah. seeing the history before you. And oh, that's it's insane. Yeah. But so one of the things Carol and I talked about when we were there is she thought it was very weird to take pictures, a selfie with like the Venus de Milo in the yeah. background, and the two of you are like, "Hey, we're gonna do a selfie with the Venus de Milo behind us." She just thought that was weird. Uh-huh. What do you think of that? Is that? Um, I mean, I I can, I guess taking pictures of it in general feels yeah, a little sure. bit weird to me because there's plenty of pictures of yeah. it. <laughs> um, the world doesn't need another picture, right? But if you want one just for yourself or just to like, if that enhances your memory of the day that you were there. Like, go for it. Seems like a thing to but do. But, like, as long as you know that pretty much no one else wants to see that. Uh, one of the things we'll post on this one is, um, and so you go to the Venus de Milo and you can walk all the way around it. Mm-hmm. No one's behind the Venus de Milo, right? Yeah. You go behind, of course, I did. Yeah. Um, and you can, there is, you can see the Venus de Milo's butt crack. Yeah. As in, as in many old, old Which is uh, fantastic. sculptures. But nobody's back there. So I did take a picture of Venus de Milo's butt crack uh-huh. because... No one else was. I thought it was really funny because I am a child. <laughs> so that's uh, that's my addition to uh, this episode. Did you see that whole thing? There were museums feuding a couple months ago where they were all posting pictures of the butts in their museum. And they were no. having like a butt competition to see who had the best butt. <laughs> like I thought that butts. was pretty good. The, yeah. And you don't, uh, by the way, yeah, also don't touch the Venus de Milo. No. Um, that'll get you in a lot he of He learned trouble. that the hard way. Yeah. Well, I just recently got out of the, uh, the French prison, which... Uh-huh. Uh, they take pretty good care of you over good there. Good food there, I bet. Yeah, not bad. Yeah, <laughs> real good food. Anyway, I had, once you're going into statues, I had to throw that in. Yeah, no, I mean, I think there's definitely, like, a weight of, like, significance that you feel when you see important art. Like, you, I, I've seen some Van Gogh paintings in, in yeah. person, and then you kind of go, like, oh, wow. It, there's a weightiness to it. Yeah. But seeing the Mona Lisa was real weird because it's like, I've heard about this... Mm-hmm. For much of my life, I've seen it in movies, you know, books written about it. It's like right there on the wall. And then yep. you sit there and go, that's the Mona Lisa. Can't get very close. A lot of people in the room. Right. Guards right it's there. very small. And you go, okay, I guess it's time to go. Yeah. <laughs> it's just. I think that's part of it for me, too, where I don't 
like, get a lot of, a lot out of visiting, like, very, very popular art and famous art is because I'm bad yeah. with crowds. Wow. And yeah. so just there being a lot of people around it, like, makes it, it kind of spoils it for me. One last little tiny story. Carol was, when she, we went to the Louvre, she wanted to know what I wanted to see. And I told her the Mona Lisa and she was visibly disappointed in me. <laughs> She thought you were cooler than that. She did. I'm like, I want to see the Mona Lisa. She's like, you want to see the Mona Lisa? It's a, you're not going to, it's not, you can't get very close. I'm like, I don't care. I want to, I'll never need to see it again now. Yeah, But I want true. to see it because I'm that basic. Yeah, basic. Your wife is cooler than you, it turns out. Oh, no one ever doubted that for a second. <laughs> She's a French professor. Come on. That's true. Anyway. She's pretty cool. She is. And so are you, listener, for listening in and oh, coming the, on this journey with us. Did you like that segue? That was a pretty good segue. That's pretty good. You yeah. are a cool listener. It would make you even cooler if you rate and reviewed us. We would appreciate that. Sure, a whole bunch. You'd be the coolest. The coolest indeed. Also the coolest... Tony Gebhardt for writing our theme song. Oh, he is cool. Thank you, Tony. Check him out. Tony yeah, Gebhardt. No, he's great. Definitely check out his music. Cool dude. You can email us at watchyourmouthpod at gmail.com. You can send us any recommendations for episodes you'd like to hear, corrections if we got anything wrong, which we probably did at some point. Sure. Let's be like honest. Dutch pronunciation. <laughs> for sure, the Dutch pronunciation. I tried. Yeah. Uh, you can follow us on our Facebook group. Yep. And rate and review us, please. Yes. Tell people about the podcast if you enjoy it, or even if you hate it. We don't care. Mm -hmm. Just let people know. Hey, you'll hate this podcast. Listen to it. We still yeah. appreciate that. <laughs> as long as they don't send us nasty emails. No, we don't like those. No, not a fan. No. So thanks for listening, everybody. Yes. I'm Milo. And I'm Dave. Stay curious. Bye.